Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Let me uh, draw your attention this this evening. I, I love the picture of the lion and the horse and the sword and the th- and the crown. One of our local artists, Vicki Glisson, drew that, and then she also uh, painted that, and also the uh, the door of the doorway to the fiery narrow passageway. <laughs> it's just a really powerful assembly of what we see. Um, well, praise God. Thank you for joining. This is it's hard to believe. This is our ninth week of our Breaking Free ministry team training. Nine weeks ago, I, th- I think actually the first three weeks were corona, not lockdown, <laughs> and then we had the remaining six. This is our sixth week, and we've just kept right on going and believing that God's going to meet us here. Um, the first three weeks, we had given copies of the ministry team training manual, which hopefully you've been following along. We're going to look at module 13 night, which was the prophetic module. Um, we've also the, the handed out the Global River Church ministry team training and spoke about uh, really the first couple of nights was, what is it foundationally that we believe? And we started by saying that this is really a story. If you look at life and the scriptures, it's a story of love and it's a story of war. And being equipped, he says he trains our hands for war. So being equipped in that love relationship also makes us warriors in the spirit. And so we've done uh, what Ephesians tells us to do, which is in Ephesians 4.12 is to equip the saints, that's you, you're not a sinner, you're a saint now, <laughs> if you're a believer. You're a saint, and a tour be equipped to be able to do the works of the ministry. And so we spend time foundationally. We said we really need to be able to understand foundationally who we are in Christ and how big He is. Once we get those things too settled in our heart, there is no demon in hell that you can't come up against when God calls you to that fight, no giant in your life. So we looked at, in that first foundational time, what is it that we believed? And we looked at the foundations. We also uh, covered the Apostles' Creed. We looked at the foundational steps. And then the homework assignment, which many of you have been walking through, we have a great deal of reading assignments. We looked at the ministry team manual in itself, which is 13 modules of intense teaching. We then looked at week one was Ephesians. Read the book of Ephesians, Philippians, second week, Colossians, the third week, the book of 1 Timothy, the fourth week, fifth week was uh, 2 Timothy, then the book of Titus, and then the book of James, and then this week was to finish in 1 John. I want to tell you, I've been doing this right along with you, and um, when you take three or four hours and you sit down with the five chapters of, you know, any one of those, 1 John is five chapters, uh, Ephesians is six, when you do that, first when you read it, and then take and take notes, write it, and see it. Something happens in the um, revelation of that. So for me, there's been just a lot of wonderful nuggets uh, that have come out and affirming in our foundations of who we are in Christ. So if you haven't been able to keep up, I encourage you to keep on. Uh, Pretty soon we'll have loaded actually this ninth session. You'll be able to go on our website, globalriverchurch.org, pull up that teaching. You'll get nine sessions that'll be part of the ministry team training, which we'll have as we go forward. 
Well, I just want to um, reiterate what we've looked at. If uh, in our training manual, we looked at kind of expectations. What does it mean to be a ministry team person? And we went through what are the uh, core values of a spirit-led church. We looked at that. We looked at um, the expectations or guidelines as being a missionary team. There's a ministry team agreement that talks about your lifestyle, and all of that is on our handout here that we handed out the first couple, three weeks. And so we're going to finish tonight with the prophetic, but before we do that, I want to go ahead and look at 1 John. And so we have captured in this ninth session uh, that prophetic picture and being a prophetic company, but we've already looked at the salvation model we looked at the biblical basis of healing and deliverance in the, in the manual. We then looked at the healing model. We looked at words of knowledge for healing and deliverance. What are some of the things that hinder both healing and deliverance? What were the curses? Then we looked at the deliverance module in uh, module 12. We went through the actual step-by-step uh, -step of the destiny model that we have tested and tried, literally, I'm not exaggerating, in many, many continents over many, many years with thousands upon thousands, both individually as well as corporately. And so the module is one that's biblically based, and I trust that you've been able to, to walk that. Next is the experiential part of this. So let me, um, I want to kind of summarize some of the things that really, if you have not read First John recently, I would encourage you, we're going to look at... Um, if we could uh, look at it, hopefully you've got, a, you've got a paper scripture. I just encourage you to have a Bible that is paper <laughs> that you can write on. You can call. I, I've used my phone, and you know, but it's, it's just not the same. It's just I have in this scripture, I have this parallel Bible of the King James and the New Living Translation. So I have the word-for-word -word translation from the 1600s, and I have the thought-for-thought -thought translation of this century. And it, it's, just, uh, it's just powerful to be able to go through it. When you look at 1 John chapter 1, there's only 10 verses in that 1 John that uh, many, this is just, let me give you some historical facts about this book. Uh, the commentators, you can look at it. Some commentators believe that it was written in 94 AD in the city of Ephesus, which was in revival. And some others believe that it was written by John when he was in prison in 90 A.D. in the Isle of Patmos. But I want you to see that it was written 60 years after the death of Jesus. Just grab a hold of that for a moment. 60 years after the death of Jesus. Think about the generational, the life expectancy of that. We're in at least the second, approaching the third generation of the church. And the, 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 the statesman elder, many believe this was John the statesman, he's the only surviving elder that, of the original 12 that had been with Jesus. We know that when you look at this on the eyewitness account reports of this, he's probably in, his, in about 94 years old. He dies within a few years of this writing. But he's had the advantage of looking at the fledgling church walking with Jesus, seeing the, the, uh, the church that's been planted at this point. We know that Paul and Peter had been martyred already, and so by Nero. And around this time, we see also that um, there's this fledgling church that has grown up and starting to mature. 
We know that because John writes in the book of Revelation, the, the John the Revelator, he's writing to the seven churches. And the churches have gotten off track if you read through the first several chapters of Revelation. So let's look at this. It's around the same time he writes 1 John. What really struck me in the first chapter of 1 John was this eyewitnessing account by this disciple. He's Just think of himself, get a picture, go in this scripture. He's in his 90s, late 80s maybe, and he's writing to the fledgling church that's coming up and he sees some things. And he writes this, he says, we proclaim to you, look at verse 1, to the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have. Now, you can count the number of times you hear this. When, when Scripture repeats itself, it's, a, it's important. Count the number of times it says, we heard, we saw, we have seen with our own eyes, we touched him. The word of life, the, the, the one who is alive. He was from the beginning, right? This is the one who is life itself and was revealed to us. We have seen him. Here it is again. We see him. We now testify, proclaim to you that the one who is eternal life, he was the one from the Father and it has been revealed to us. We want to now proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually, here it is again, actually seen and heard, here we go, so that you may have fellowship. Why? Why does he repeat this about the eyewitnessing of the handling, the seeing, the revealing? Because we want you to have this same fellowship that we know, that the Father and the Son, that fellowshipping. So we're writing these things to you. Here's another reason, that you may fully share in the joy. This is the message we now heard from Jesus. We declare to you, God's light, there is no darkness in him. So we're lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but yet we go on and we live in spiritual darkness. This is going to be a theme throughout here. This is, you can say you love, but if you hate, God's not in you. You can say that you believe, but if you don't operate in obedience, in purity, the love of God is not in you. This is that whole thematic. It's, we looked at uh, the book of James recently, and James had the same thing. Don't tell me that you have faith if you don't show me your faith by works, right? It's not that I'm saved by, by works, but once I'm saved, there better be evidence. Or guess what? You think you're saved, you're not. And it's, a, it's that same theme in many of these scriptures that we picked up in the last few weeks. So I want you to see that this revelation, if you look at it, he heard, and it's listed at least twice, saw four times, touched him, handled him, revealed and now testify, and that it's so important that we have been in the light. And so he finishes that first chapter in verse 8. He says, if we claim that we have no sin, you're only fooling yourself and that you're not living in the truth. So, but we love it, the fact that he says, however, we know that if we sin, we had confessed that, and he is faithful to forgive us from all unrighteousness and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Man, he declares us righteous. We get to that place where we just come into agreement. So John, the revelator, the writer here says, I just want you to know that we all make mistakes, we all sinned, we've all fallen short, but we have this advocate and we can come to him and repent and he cleanses us. So if we claim that we've not sinned, verse 10, we're calling God a liar and showing that the word has no place in our hearts. So he says, I write to you children 
so that you may not sin. You will not sin. Here's another theme of this book. It says, if you continue to practice sin, then you are not one of the children of God. Now, that's pretty strong language. But it says, not that we are sinless. We had this discussion the other night in our men's group. We're not sinless, but we thank you that we have an advocate. So he goes on, and you look in chapter 2. He now writes that says, I want us to plead this case. So chapter 2, verse 1, my children, I'm writing to you so that you'll not sin. So what was the purpose? That you will not sin, but if anyone does, he has an advocate who's pleading our case. You get this picture of the, the lawyer who's pleading our case before the judge. And so we have Jesus Christ. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin, and not only for the sins of ours, but the sins of all the world. Wow. So we can be sure that we know him. Now here's this where obedience or practice or lifestyle goes hand in hand. The same theme that James had. If we say that uh, we know him, then we will obey his commandments. You're going to see this again over and over. If someone claims, well, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar. And he's not living in the truth. So there's this kind of, remember what Jesus said, you can know a tree by its fruit. So when someone claims to be, and he's going to actually give us a go-no-go test on those who claim to be those who belong to Christ, that they cannot confess that he is the son, or that their lifestyle doesn't model that and demonstrate it, then the love of God is not in them. That's scary. So we see this in chapter 2, that we can know him by obeying the word, and it shows us completely. Then we look at, um, he talks about the love of the world and hate. He goes through this very clearly. Let's look at um, chapter 2, verse 7. In that scripture in verse 7, he says, I want to give you a new commandment, and actually, it's an old commandment. It's the same one, to love one another, the same message that you've heard. Yet, it's also new, Jesus said, um, that if you live in the truth, this commandment is also, we're living it. The darkness will disappear and true light will come, and in fact, it's already shining. And he goes, again, listen, listen to the repeat. If someone, anyone claims I'm living in the light, but now hates. So here's the, he's going to co contrast the love-hate relationships as well as obedience versus those who are not obedient, love relationship. But if you hate a fellow believer, that person is still in darkness. And anyone who loves a fellow believer is actually living the light and will not cause others to stumble. That's interesting how that comes out. It says, if you live in the light, don't become a stumbling block. Don't lead somebody else down a dark path. In fact, you'll see it. If you're in the light, you won't cause someone to stumble. That's very consistent with what Paul tells us in Corinthians. He says, uh, I won't do anything to cause another person to stumble. So if you've got some freedom that you're free of, but yet that causes someone to stumble, Paul said, I won't eat meat again if that would cause somebody else to stumble. Then he goes on and repeats it again. But anyone who hates a fellow believer, verse 11, is living and walking in darkness. Such person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So this encouragement of and the repetitive side of this then he warns us about love of the world. So look at verse 
well, actually, verse 12 through 15, chapter 2, 12 through 15, really speaks of maturity. He talks about children, young men, young people, and then mature believers, fathers. This is really, the, in, in context, it's the material, maturing of a birth of the person that's a believer. It's becoming more and more mature. And it talks about the revelation. When you're mature, you'll know Christ. You know he existed that you've actually won your battle with the evil one. So you see that in, uh, it says, I've written this to you, children, because you know the Father. Verse 14, I'm writing this to you so that you may mature in faith. And then he goes on, he says, because you're strong in God, word lives in your hearts. But then he warns about love of the world. Look at verse 15. Don't love the world and what it offers you. Only love the Father. The world offers you, look at verse 16. Here's what the world offers. And this is a test. Do I love the world? I was asking myself, there, there are things that I love about creation and the world. I, I love doing things and being out in nature. And, and there's things that we enjoy, the pleasures of life. He's not talking about that. What he's now talking about, look at the word language here. The craving. Actually, King James speaks of the lust of the flesh, right? And so in verse 15, he says, Love not the world, this is King James, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. New Living Translation talks about the cravings of the pleasures. If you're driven by your cravings, then there's something that's amiss that we have to get the Holy Spirit to help us with. There are all those temptations. That's why he tells us, take up your cross daily and follow me. Nail the passions to the cross every day. Every day's a new day, right? And so, if you deny the Father, then he warns about antichrists that have come in verse 18. He says, dear children, the last hour is here. King James says, the last time, as we have heard the antichrist shall come. He's actually here. And then he lists the antichrist spirit. And so we, we see here that if you deny the Father, look at verse, this, the Antichrist is anyone who denies that Christ came in the flesh. He was dealing with a Gnosticism or a Gnostic spirit. There were those that believed that um, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that it was all special knowledge to be saved. So they were, what he's addressing here is if you deny that Christ came in the flesh, that died for your sin, was resurrected on the third day, and is now seated. If you deny that, then the love of God is not in you, and you are not his child. He, again, he'll repeat this theme. If you know, love not the Father, you love not the Son. And if you have not the Father, you have not the Son. If you have not the Son, you don't have life. So he'll, you'll see that, again, repetitively throughout this, these five chapters. So I want us to see that you cannot deny the Father because that makes us an antichrist spirit. Remain faithful. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So now look at um, chapter 3. He goes on and he speaks of, see how very much the Father loves us. That was the whole song that Jason started with. King James says, Behold the manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth not us, because they knew not him. New Living says, see how very much the Father loves us, 
for he calls us his children, that we are his people and we, we don't belong to this world. The world can't recognize him. Then he gets into lifestyle. Um, I love this in 1 John 3.8. We shared this early on during the deliverance training that the, one of the job descriptions that Jesus came, he says this in 1 John 3.8. When people keep on saying it, it shows they belong to the devil, but he's been sin- sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So when we look at why deliverance is so important to us, one of Jesus' job descriptions, why he came, was to destroy the work of the devil. That's why in John 14, he says, verse 12, he says, now, greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. So we're supposed to do what he did. And we looked at that before. So we see here, John reiterates that, that once you're born into God's family, you cannot make a practice of sinning. Look at that verse. If you look at verse, let's begin in um, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice, a lifestyle of sinning, because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. Now, I understand there's struggles, and you know this is not a black and white scripture. He's lots of grace here. But he, he tells us that once the love of God and the empowerment of God, and, and if you realize that he came in the flesh, in that eyewitness account, you ought to be empowered by what God has done for us. So now we can tell. This is a go, no go. Look at verse 10. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously, this lifestyle, and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. I don't think it gets any more clear than that. This idea of justification of hate, and no, it's not possible. You cannot love God and hate your brother. You cannot love God or claim to love God and keep practicing a lifestyle of sin. sin. Now, he, he already dealt with this. If you fall, and he says, look, don't claim you're not a sinner. If you do sin, we have an advocate. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to him, he's faithful. So let me move this along. Then he goes into, in chapter 4, about righteousness and discerning false prophets. He deals with this. He says, don't believe every spirit. Now this is going to lead right into our teaching tonight in the prophetic. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test. This is going to be consistent. You'll see in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't scoff at prophecy, but test, right? But here, the same one, John is saying, you must test what you see if that spirit comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. There are those that are kind of focused on false prophecy, false prophets. To me, if there's false prophets, there's also true prophets, (laughs) amen? So this is how we can know. He says, this is one to know. You'll know if they have the Spirit of God in that person, if they claim to be a prophet, they must acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in a real body and he's a person, has the Spirit, that person has the Spirit of God. So if they, re- if they report that Christ came as a physical God on earth, the God-man came and was crucified, raised from the dead, 
that prophet, if they claim to be anything other than that and that prophecy, then they're a false prophet. So if someone claims to be a prophet but does not, does not acknowledge the truth about Christ, that person's not from God. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist. Now he deals with actually what I call four, four realms of a voice that we tend to hear. And I believe in discerning and warfare, we've dealt with this before, taking every thought captive right out of 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6. Take every thought captive because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Here's where the writer of John really identifies four realms of your thought life. And understanding for spiritual warfare for yourself what realm of thought did this thing just came? With this thing that we claim our own thoughts? No, not every thought is yours. In fact, here it speaks of the voices, right? Or thought life or those that speak. And it says, first is the Antichrist spirit, which he deals with here. If that person does not profess Christ, that's an Antichrist spirit. So that's the demonic realm. It is the, the revelation of the darkness that's trying to invade our life. Example. You're having a tough day, you're depressed, you're sad. I was dealing with someone just recently having a really bad day, listening to the lies of rejection and disappointment. Heart had been broken over a relationship and had this rejection. And just like the, the, the voice of that antichrist spirit was telling this person, you ought to just go medicate your pain. Go out and, and drink and do this. And, and I said, that's a, that's a realm of antichrist spirit that is trying to invade you to get you to take the bait and fall, and you fall down. Well, that Antichrist spirit is one. The other one he deals with is the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit will give you victory. When you belong to God, dear children, you've already won this victory. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. A famous scripture. We love that one, right? And so we see that it says that uh, that great unction from the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That's in verse 26. I'm writing these things to warn you that you not be led astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit. He lives in you so that you don't need anyone to teach you. So we see the Holy Spirit. We see the Antichrist Spirit. It speaks of the world, that the, the world speaks. Just turn on the television. You get enough of that. Turn on a movie. What movie can you turn on that there isn't some kind of level of fornication, adultery, drunkenness, swearing? I mean, it's just crazy. you got to try to screen everything. And so... The world is speaking all the time, and we know that the God of this world, we've dealt with this in the past, the God of this world is Satan. No wonder it's under the influence of all the other medias, right? So that's the third voice, the world, the Holy Spirit, the Antichrist. But then it deals with you will know the truth, right? Your heart, and, the, and another voice is what does your heart say? If your heart's not well, you can be deceived. If you believe rejection or you're a failure or you're not going to amount to anything, that's the lie that comes from a broken heart that is now invading your whole thinking and, and processing. So discerning which thought is part of that spiritual warfare that when you're dealing with people in ministry team or in ministering to people, getting them to understand the lie that they might believe, what's the realm of that thought life that's coming from? Is it an antichrist? Is it demonic? Is it the Holy Spirit? We want to encourage that. The truth is being set free. So let me move on. So we see here that um, we have this teacher, which is the Holy Spirit. And so we also see, let's go on to, he deals again with an eyewitness here. Look at chapter 4, 
in verse uh, 14. So chapter 4, verse 14, he deals with this. Well, let's, let's look, start in verse 13. 1 John 4, 13 says, God has given us the Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to know, you're going to know that you know that you're His. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes. Here it is again, the eyewitness. And now we testify the Father has sent His Son to save the world. And all that we declare that Jesus is the Son of God, those that have that living in them live in God. And we know how much God loves us and how we put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Look at that continuum. God is love. All those who live in love. Boy, living in love. You want to get convicted. My wife and I were recently reading 1 Corinthians 13 again, the love chapter. Love is patient. It's kind. It never keeps a record of evil. It, it keeps no record of wrong. Uh, whew, that'll, uh, that'll humble you. So if you're living there, for the people that annoy you the most, then you got the love of God in you, <laughs> and you're patient with them. Whew. Hallelujah. So God lives in them. And then it says, and as we live in God, what happens? Look at verse 16. Look at the progression of you choosing to live in that place with God. That love grows more and more, and it becomes more and more perfect. And what does that result in? We're not afraid on the day of judgment. If you've got a whole bunch of fear going on, he now deals with the evidence of the love of God that's now been perfected. You become more perfect as you live in this love. It's a progression. Peter does the same thing. He real, deals with this, right? When you work in perseverance and you let that knowledge of God and that, that whole, he just, they all deal with the same theme here. We're not afraid on the day of judgment. We can face it confidently. Such love. Look at verse 18. First, such love. What kind of love? This love that's perfected, it doesn't have any fear. Perfect love expels fear. Now let me, those that are going to go on mission tribute and deal with darkness, there's times when that enemy tries to manifest and intimidate. We've dealt with that a lot the last few weeks. This truth, God is in me and I'm here to help in the deliverance or the freedom of this individual that's before me. That perfected love in me will expel all fear. If God is for me, who can be against me, right? And so this is that, I, I want to anchor this thought. Fully experiencing this perfected love is really powerful both in your own spiritual warfare, in the intimacy with God, and the acceptance that we have knowing that He loves us. How much love does He have for us? And then we ask the Lord to show us how to be perfected in this. Now, Paul, I know, he said it, and we all know it. We need, we need it. None of us have arrived. I'm not, Paul says, I'm not saying I've arrived, but I press on. So we love each other because he loved us first, verse 19. All right, well, let me, let me finish with chapter 5. And he goes on, and he, he says, the faith in the Son of God. And this message is just powerful. If um, he deals again with, if you love each other, Look at chapter 5, verse, let's look at uh, verse 1. He says this, it says, If everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. You see, you see the progression again? He, the same theme as we started out, who are the children of God? We see the progression of this. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves them. So it was, this, this is that progression. It goes on. He says again, you can win this battle. Look at verse 5. That we win the battle against the world, only those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son. And again, he deals with the reiteration of loving means keeping the commandments. Lifestyle again. So in the conclusion, he says that he says, I have written this to you. Look at verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 15. He, you know that you have eternal life. And he says, we keep on pressing on since we have we now know that he hears us, we make our requests, and he gives us what we ask for. And he talks about if you find someone who's sinning, go to them, pray for them. We know that God's children, look at, he, see the, look at verse 18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds us securely in his hands. And we've won this battle, verse 19, the children of God have won and the, and the world around us are under the control of the evil one, but we've won that battle. I want you to see that just this reiteration over and over again of love and commitment and practice, and he holds us together. And so I just love that chapter. It's very important, I think, from a perspective of ministry team and understanding who we are and how we proceed in this relationship with God and helping others to find freedom. All right, well, in the remaining minutes here, 45 minutes or so, I want to cover Module 13, which is part of the prophetic guidelines that we as a prophetic company want to embrace. And I'm not going to be able to cover all this module, so you need to read Module 13 of that ministry training manual and get those thoughts down in. But if you're part of our body or you've been with us for any length of time, let me take a particular, on a Sunday morning when we're here, it is regular routine that during our uh, time of worship and flowing in the Spirit, people will have a revelation, they'll get a word from God. It's always so important to see how the lyrics that the team, who we've not practiced this before, the worship team's lyrics, the songs that they, they've chosen, the, uh, the thematic of a person who has a word that either opens the service. Again, none of it's scripted except by the Holy Ghost. And we love it. We're always amazed like, wow, that was so amazing. One of our artists like Brian will be up and he'll be drawing it and that same theme is there. And so what is that? That is the prophetic revelation of what God is doing at the time. And so the gift of prophecy, when I, going back in my days in the denominational era many, many years ago, we never, I never heard the word prophecy, never even thought of it. Um, well, we didn't hear about healing either or deliverance. But So when we look at this today, I want to give you the biblical basis again. If it's not in the book, you have every reason to question. But if it's in the book, you have every reason to believe you're going to be held accountable for it. And so let's, uh, let's look at the biblical basis. And probably the most uh, foundational scripture that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, I'm now on page 13.1 in the Guidelines to Prophecy, Module 13. In page 13.1, at the very top of that page, it says, The Bible tells us to desire the gift of prophecy. 
Well, you say, Pastor, first of all, what is it? Some of you may be joining and say, I've never heard of that. I was recently in another nation. They had never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We preached on that. So it's not uncommon that some places where there's not a depth, but let's look at what Scripture says. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. It says, follow the way of love. You see that at the top there? It says, follow the, the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men from their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Hello. But I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless there's an interpretation so that the church may be edified. So did you get that? He's saying here that there is this uh, desire that Paul says that, one, you should have, you should desire to um, be able to prophesy, but he says also, I'd rather you also speak in tongues. So let's go on. Prophecy teaching, after um, we're released, look at some of the foundational principles. That's on the bottom of page 13.1. First of all, Prophecy, like any of the gifts, has to be done with humility and love. It's about love and it's about humility. If there's not love in it and there's not humility in it, then there's some form of flesh or worse going on. So we need to be aware. I love Bill Hammond's book. In fact, um, tonight I was listening to, um, there was a group of prophets who've gotten together, actually last week. Um, Bill Hammond was on it. Uh, Cindy Jacobs was there, um, Chuck Pierce, uh, Dutch Sheets, um, um, what's his name, uh, Sightings from, from Jerusalem was tied in, and they were giving prophetic words as to where we are right now. And that is important when we look at uh, prophecy. We've used Bill Hammond's book here, and I referenced that uh, there. If you want to look at some of the, he's been doing this for about, I think, 50 or 60 years is what I heard. You can look at Bill Hammond's book, Prophets and Personal Prophecy there. But the key role of the prophets and prophecy is identified there. It's to activate church members. And so we see that. Remember when Timothy was told by Paul, when Paul, he says, fan the flame of the gift that was given to you when myself and the, press, the, uh, the elders laid hands on you, 1 Timothy 4.14, or in 2 Timothy 1.6. So prophecy, one of the reasons for the prophetic words are to activate. Um, I remember, you know, basically the, when I'm called out or there's a word that's given and it makes a witness with you, that is an activation process. So let's uh, turn to page 13.2. 1 Corinthians 14.1, eagerly pursue. What does that mean? Make it your aim. Have a great quest for it. Um, he says prophecies are those that in, are actually come under divine unction from the Spirit of God to speak what God is saying. So that earnestly desiring. I've listed there on page 13.2 at the bottom a definition of in Strong's Concordance. What is a prophet? One who speaks for God and is inspired utterance. 
true prophecy or false prophecy. So you can look at those uh, listings there in prophecy. Um, speaking as a prophet, prophecy has a focus on encouraging and restoring covenant faithfulness and also foretelling, telling the future. So you see that. So look at page 13.3, and I listed there the purpose of prophecy. It's to encourage, there's the scriptures, to convict or admonish, and there's the scripture, inspiration, there's the Psalms, guidance, there's the Acts and Ephesians, a true prophet will lead others by humility towards unity and walking in obedience. Now there's different ways the spirit of prophecy operates, and I've listed three on the bottom of page 13.3. One is the spirit of prophecy. Remember in Scripture where even Saul got up against, he was in the school of the prophets, and Saul started prophesying. <laughs> he got in an atmosphere. That's why what happens on Sunday morning when we're all gathered and we're not in lockdown, and the spirit of prophecy is here, the spirit of God is here, two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst, right? And all of a sudden the spirit of prophecy starts to operate. And people that are maybe not even fully in that gift start to see pictures or revelations. That is the spirit of prophecy that operates, and that's number one there. And so the second one is the gift of prophecy, which is listed in 1 Corinthians 12. It's one of the gifts, nine gifts of the Spirit, listed in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And there are those that have the gift of prophecy. And they operate even more constantly or consistently. And actually, as you pursue this and ask for that gift, you will start to operate more and more. And it'll be powerful when you start to pray for people. You'll either see pictures You'll get a, a word of knowledge, which we talked about before, which is different than prophecy. A word of knowledge gives information. For example, in a meeting where someone, we give a word of knowledge that says, is there, I was recently in, a, in Costa Rica, and the, I was preaching the word, I'm breaking free, and the Lord gave me a download um, that there was someone in the meeting that had, had gotten a broken leg from a motorcycle accident. <clears throat> so I just stopped, I, again, I've, had this cultivation of that's the Spirit of God. That isn't me. That came out of nowhere, and it, he's giving it for a reason. So I stopped, and I said, there may be someone here that you broke your leg in a, in a motorcycle accident. Well, it turns out it was a police officer who had just gotten saved a couple of days before on an outreach we did that our Pastor Willie went into the house and led this individual to the Lord. He'd been in church. I think this was his second time in church. He gets that word. He came up later. He goes, how'd you know that? I said, that was the word of God that came. So that was a word of knowledge. It was information. It's something that had already taken place. But the Lord then wanted to operate. When we prayed over this individual, we gave him revelatory information under the spirit of prophecy that was to encourage him, that he was going to be helpful to others. <clears throat> I want you to see here also in that listing that a true prophet leads by humility. But then there's this office of the prophet. And I want you to see that that's listed when we have an office which is part of the fivefold ministry of God, which is listed in Ephesians 4. We see there that the office of the prophet is one of the listings of the fivefold ministry. You can see that in Ephesians 4. Uh, goes on, he says, Jesus gave some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be pastors, some to be evangelists, and some to be 
apostles. But in the office of the ministry of the prophet, that one is one that is equipping. So when we look at the office of the prophet, that's listed on that page 13.3 in module 13. But then we look at some examples on page 13.4 on the guidelines of prophecy. And I just listed what is an exhortation, what is comfort, what is edification, what is directive prophecy, and what's imperative prophecy. And you can look at those as, uh, as examples scripturally. And that's what I shared in Ephesians 4.11 at the bottom of page 13.4, the five areas that actually are gifts given by Jesus to the church to help edify and build the church so the saints can do the work. Then on page 13.5, <clears throat> we see that God has set some in the church. There's another scripture there in 12.28. God has set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, and thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing helps governments, diversity of tongues. So we, we see here that scripturally, I'm not going to get into a prophet's reward, but there is dangers for those who, who reject prophets. Remember Jesus said in, uh, when he went to Nazareth that he was not accepted there. This is in Mark chapter uh, 6. And he, uh, he was not accepted in his hometown because they thought he was the son of the carpenter. But in fact, and it says he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. What a sad commentary. But then he gives this teaching about <clears throat> a prophet is not accepted in his own land and talks about the prophet's rewards. You can read that in the handout here. <clears throat> There's a choice. Look at verse 13.6 in... Uh, 13.6 page, it says, we have a choice to either reject or accept the prophetic. And there's that scripture in Matthew 13.57 where it says, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Remember when his own brothers, and they, they were making fun of him? They came out and said, and they said, why don't you go and get with the people of your own group in the festival? And do, they were mocking him. Of course, later they write, in the book <laughs> about him. And so we know that they came to know who he truly was. There's a warning on the bottom of page 13.6. Don't scoff or despise prophecy, but hold fast or prove what is true. So we see here that um, there are those, and I remember uh, since we didn't have much tea, what is prophecy? What is that? That, that must have gone out with the, with, the, with the apostles back in the day, along with healing. That was a false teaching that was done. I don't know how you can read this book and get anything. Else. This is New Testament teaching from Paul. So how do you get there? I, I don't know. But that's uh, wrong theology. We know now that he also tells the, th the church at Thessalonica, do not scoff at prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. But test everything. So we need to embrace it. He tells us again, which we read, that everyone should even pursue it. You personally should pursue prophecy. I wish that you would all speak in tongues, but even more so that you would prophesy. How do you mix that word up? You can't. I mean, so this idea that, oh, well, I don't want to do that. That's too weird. Um, excuse me. That's the word. This is talking about obediently being the doers of the word, James says, right? Okay. So... We should pursue that. We need to do it carefully. We're not going to get weird about it, but we, need, we want the full armor, the full bag of tricks that God has given us that are 
fully capable of helping everyone to get free. All right. Turn with me to, um, well, maybe you have a question. Is it right for me to desire that gift? I, I listed here on page 13.7. In Psalm 37, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So we're just supposed to desire that gift, and you desire it and you delight yourself. You can ask the Lord. Just pray. Lord, I really want to operate in the gift of prophecy. I want to, I want to start in, in, uh, in a process of learning how you speak to me that way. Well, how do you know if it's true or false? Look at the bottom of page 13.7. There's some ways to kind of measure or test a prophetic word. One is it's scriptural. If it doesn't line up scripturally, you can throw it out. Um, if, they, if a prophet is not willing to say something publicly, wants to do this, we call them the corner prophets. They want to only talk to you privately. Now, there are messages and words that are done privately. I understand that. But if they're... If there's this um, special gifting prophecy that's done secretly, be careful of that, or at least have a witness. Um, does the pro prophetic word that you've gotten, does it bear witness with your spirit? Like, yes, there's this, maybe there's a leaping inside of you. Recently, I had a prophetic word that was given to me at uh, Voice of the Apostles, actually, was given to me by leaders that I trust, and that word just witnessed in my spirit. And so, does there bear witness with your spirit? Does it confirm something the Lord has already said to you? Is, you know, if you've got multiple words that have come to you over time, you can get a, Lord is trying to tell me something. Was it delivered in an attitude of love? Does the word draw you closer to God or draw you away from God? I remember as a, as a very new pastor, I had uh, actually just become the senior pastor. This is 16 some odd years ago. And there was... Uh, a person in the congregation that uh, their lifestyle was, let's just say, was questionable in some ways, and uh, the person's no longer alive, by the way, uh, died very tragically. But that person came and gave me a prophetic word that was very, very um, hurtful. It was like, wow. It deflated me to the point where, so I'm a brand new pastor, and I get this word. He gives it to me, and uh, so what did I do? I, I, I do what's encouraged here. Take that word to some trusted people who hear. And I presented that to several of the elders, and they said, that is not a word from God. You need to dismiss that word. That was intended to wound you and hurt you and delay you from walking in what God's got for you. And so I dismissed it. And I, I forgave the individual. <clears throat> I told them, you're not to deliver any more words. They quickly, this person actually left the, con the congregation, and uh, lifestyle went off the cliff and actually died tragically. So it's, uh, we need to be careful. Um, the Lord will give us wisdom and revelation of those things. So you don't need to capture every word that's spoken to you. It may or may not be true, but these are ways to kind of screen what it is. How do we test it? And so listen to the Holy Spirit. You'll get a witness of that. Um, some words take years to unfold. I remember um, I was brand new as a first-time uh, young pastor here as an associate. It's probably a year here. And this woman who um, operated in the gifts of prophecy came up to me one night. I was teaching a small Bible study. So we had a trailer out here. I was doing a Bible study. She came up at the end and said, I have a word for you. I said, okay, okay. She goes, uh, you're actually going to be a pastor to pastors. And I thought, man, that's, whew, that's way out. Maybe I need to dismiss that out of pride or something. But I wrote it down. And do you know that that word has been fulfilled many times now? 
all over the world, actually. So it encouraged me, even though it was for a later date, it gave me an encouragement to continue to pursue on. And so I would encourage, I have, that's why I like paper Bibles, I have loads and loads of prophetic words, revelations that have come through, I've got, I've got many more writings of this, but I always tell them to write it down. When it's a word for the congregation, I have our team, when we get a word from one of the people that comes to deliver a message to us, and they say, I have a word for the congregation, we write it down, we meditate over it, we pray about it, we analyze it, and I have a whole prophetic listing in my office of pro prophetic words spoken of us. Many of them have been fulfilled. Uh, we will be a, a congregation that goes to the nations. That was well before we have what's written on our uh, wall in the cafe, Psalm 2.8. Ask me and I'll, send, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Well, boy, that is true now. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing prophetically. It just encourages us, and, but we still need to test it. All right, let's move on. Um, in, um, on page 13.9, what happens? How do, suppose you get a prophetic word <clears throat> and it's not as accurate as you think it should be. Does that make the person a false prophet? Well, here's an example <clears throat> in Acts 21 where Agabus gives a word to Paul and Paul shares in the interaction, I won't read it now, but he, in the interaction, they're warning Paul not to go. You're going to get arrested. You're going to be persecuted. Well, Paul already knew that. He said, the Holy Spirit's already revealed to me. But, so it was a confirming word that it was gonna, he was to go from down to Judea and, and uh, go there. He was going to get arrested. He knew that. So basically, he was warning him, you're going to go through some trials here. But Agabus got part of the word wrong. And so... <clears throat> It doesn't make Agabus a false prophet. So we, we need to look today into the scriptures. If someone gives you a word, remember they're a mouthpiece that is speaking through a human vessel, and there may be some biases. That's why he says test what's there. Let's look at page 1310. How do you judge prophecy? Well, there's several ways. I listed again at the top there, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Don't, do not despise prophecy, but prove it. Prove all things. So how can you, what are the guidelines to judge whether this is a legitimate prophetic word? I remember um, <clears throat> a couple of years back, um, Bob Hazlitt had come to the church, and it was his first time he'd ever set foot in Wilmington. Um, he heard we had a beach. But he didn't even know we had a college. And he came and, you know, if you know anything from Bob Hasler, he's operated prophetically. He's actually come a couple of times. One time we had the, the Jesus tent downtown by the armory. He was there. And in the midst of it, he comes up. He says, I have a prophetic word. And he starts to describe one of our individuals, one of our pastors, Pastor Mike Thornton, who it was such an, uh, a, a now word that just declared, and so all of us who were in the room, he didn't know Mike from anyone else, didn't even know much about the town. He's prophesying about the town and about the school, of uh, the UNCW, and it was just so, it was littered with such truth, but at the same time he gave a, a foretelling of what Pastor Mike Thornton would be walking in, and it was just a confirmation for all of us who already knew that that was going to be the case. And so 
How do you judge prophecy? One is fulfillment. Does it happen? Deuteronomy 28, let me, let me read this to you. De- uh, Deuteronomy 18, excuse me. Deuteronomy 18, and in verse 22, if it happens, that's one way of discerning whether this was from the Lord. Let's look at Deuteronomy 18.22. says this. <clears throat> if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen does, or come true, you'll know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and needs not be feared. So if a prophetic word, you know, littered throughout the whole Testament, the old and new, of prophetic words of what was going to come. I think I shared recently the prophet Jeremiah <clears throat> kept warning Israel about the fact that they were in sin and idolatry and that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to come and destroy all of it. And they kept poo-pooing him. And actually, they locked up Jeremiah, threw him in prison stocks until right when King Nebuchadnezzar was coming and they destroyed and were carried off into Babylon. And so that prophecy was fulfilled and Jeremiah obviously was proven to be correct. Well, what is another way to find out? Um, The accompanying conditions in the realm of direction, you see that number two there, prediction and prophecy will be accompanied by conditions. Uh, Example there, if you obey the Lord, your house will be blessed. How about the example of Jonah and Nineveh? Jonah, you know, he knows that God's a God of mercy. He doesn't want to see the Assyrians get saved and, and restored. And so Jonah jumps in the, you know, gets on a boat, gets away. You know the story. Well, it's conditional. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and delivers the warning message. And from the king on down, they're in fasting, repentance, and they're, they're in that place of, and, you know, of course, Jonah gets upset with God that I knew you were going to forgive them. He wanted to see them punished. Well, it was conditional. It was conditional that they had to repent. And that's why a message a couple of weeks ago that I gave about the United States, I think the United States is hanging in the balance right now. Are we going to be a sheep nation or are we going to be a goat nation? If we continue down this path, of thumbing our nose at God, killing children, walking down paths of perversion, then God is going to have to judge this nation. He cannot give us a pass. And so it really depends on we, the church, coming together. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then he would hear from heaven. It's conditional. I shared a couple of weeks ago of the conditions around I, you know, I want to bless a nation, but if that nation walks in sin, says Jeremiah, then that nation will not be blessed. I will take away my blessing on them. It's conditional. That's the same thing. So this is a prophetic word of conditions. Deuteronomy 28 is loaded with promises and curses. If you follow the commands, you're blessed. If you don't, you're going to be cursed. So those are, this is the prophetic word that comes forward. The same is true in a word that's delivered prophetically. I listed this again. Number three, is it scriptural? If the prophecy does not line up with scripture, it's false. Public acknowledgement, beware the corner prophets. I talked about that. Confirmation, number five. The true prophecy will usually ring a bell or it's like, whoa, that witnesses with me. The witness of your spirit, right? It's, it's like this unction of the spirit. It's like, oh, that's, that's such a great word. It may be lofty, you know. It's like, 
wow, that, if that's true, wow, God, that's awesome. And you just kind of put it down and say, let me not get ahead. Here's another warning. When you get a prophetic word, I see you going to the nations and leading thousands to Christ. You don't quit your job tomorrow and leave your family. And no, that, Remember, the Word of God has three elements. It's the Word, it's the strategy, and it's the timing of God. If you get any of those out of whack, you're in trouble. Uh, the example, God gives Abraham the Word. You're going to be a father of many nations. 25 years later, he doesn't have any children. So then the suggestion comes back, why don't you take Hagar, my handmaiden, and have intimate relations with her and get a son, which was culturally acceptable in those days, but it was not God's plan. You see nothing in the Scriptures where Abraham interacted with God on that. He just acted. And now we got Ishmael results, and we're still living with that challenge, right? So if somebody like Abraham can miss it, we can miss it. So we need to be careful. Be careful when you get a word to test it, Look at the timing of it. If it's something really lofty and big, God, I don't want to put it on the shelf and not operate in that, but I do want to accept that there's a strategic plan and a timing to all of those words. David examples that many times. Father, should I go? God, should I go after him? Should I, in Ziklag, should I pursue them? Yes, pursue them. You will recover everything. How do I do it? This is how. And he gives the strategy of that, and it changed at different times. All right, look at number, um, number eight, the spirit of the message. The spirit of prophecy we see in Revelation 19.10. See that on the bottom of page 13.10. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Therefore, it should always be in an attitude of love. Now, there are obviously, I use the example of Jeremiah, there are prophetic words that are harsh. They're warning words. They're, um, they're always intended, though, to drive us towards repentance and reconciliation. They're not, you know, you're a bunch of losers and you're forever lost. That's not, you know, God's ever God's heart. So, all right, page 1311. The burden of the Lord. Um, listen to the Lord's heart. Number nine there. When a word is given, check to see if you can hear God drawing his people in. Oftentimes we'll get a word that encourages us to go deeper into purity, into intimacy and relationship, it's not condemning. That is not ex exhortation or comfort. It's, it's one of, uh, so you, you question whether the word that you're hearing is drawing you to be closer to God or pushing you away from God. And, you know, all of us hear through different lenses. If you see God the Father as this harsh, dictatorial guy with a stick who's going to punish you, and you hear that word through that lens, it may be hard. But those who have this loving relationship, Father loves us, see how much he loves us, then we can hear that word with a, come on, I'm encouraging you to come closer, to walk levels of purity. It's kind of that uh, Psalm 24, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands, pure hearts, right? So there's this encouragement to keep walking in purity, all right, well then in number 10 there, the Lagos word, that refers biblically, it's the word, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, is that strong word of God. But then there's the rhema word, which is the inspired word of God. Um, that's the timely word for a now time. That's why I believe today, if you go on um, either some of the websites, look at Lance Wallenau, uh, look at the... Uh, uh, 
well, probably could look at Chuck Pierce's uh, website or Cindy Jacobs' website. website. You'll see these prophets are delivering now words. Um, we'll see what, uh, how they prefer, but basically we're in a reset mode. James Gall was on uh, also in this, and there was a lot of talk about the, the word of God that has come. Um, Matt Lockett was on, and uh, no, it was Will Ford. Will Ford was on, and his, his son, a seven-year-old, I think his name was Jeremiah, had a dream recently in the last few weeks. Listen to this dream. This is kind of interesting. Here's a seven-year-old. Comes down, he tells his dad, I had a dream. So here's a prophetic revelation from a child and actually been confirmed by other children. They used the word, which is tomorrow, right? It's tomorrow the 30th of April. There was this dream, he said, this is last week, and he had multiple nights of a similar dream. The seven-year-old says, Dad, I had a dream. There was this plant, and the plant was pressuring and crushing the world. But, and it was a, there was a crown on the plant. So there was a crown on this plant that was crushing the world. But all of a sudden, this half lamb, half lion animal came out, jumped on the plant, and started tearing the plant apart. And all of a sudden, I had this revelation that it was this plant was trying to hurt everybody. And this lion and lamb came and destroying it, destroying it. And then I saw this picture or word. I saw April 30th. Now, remember, this is last week, <clears throat> maybe a, week, a couple of weeks back. And he had this repetitive dream. He told his dad, he goes, well, do you know what the, he doesn't know that corona means crown. <laughs> he had no idea what that is. Uh, this crushing of the world. And he goes, well, what do you think the lamb and the, and the lion was? He goes, I don't know what that was. But it's the lion of the tribe and the lamb of God, right, that has come to destroy this plague. And so I just think it's an interesting word. We'll see if it's, it occurs. Basically, he had this repetitive dream, and the plant was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So whether this really starts in this thing, the Lord crushes this thing like he said um, he did with Egypt during the plague, putting the blood on the doorposts, and we went into that fast. So we'll just see what they, they're, they're warning with this desire to have the nation turn and to see the reset. But all of it was also, when you hear many of the vo voices of the prophetic streams now, they're saying that there's going to be a reset, that God is going to move. He's going to give an opportunity for multiple, multiple thousands upon thousands of people to come into the kingdom. He's going to give us an opportunity. If you look at uh, some of the prophecies, Kim Clement, I encourage you, go online and Kim Clement's in heaven right now. But there are prophecies from Kim, Kim Clement way before President Trump ever ran for office that there was, he was going to be a president. He actually, they prophesied there would be a second term. Um, so we'll see. We'll, the, the, obviously, the, that first part of that prophecy has occurred. Uh, whether you like it or not has occurred, right? And so those prophetic words are there. They encourage when a, when a child says he's, in, he's seeing this plant, the corona plant being destroyed by the lamb and the lion and beginning on tomorrow at April 30th, then we ought to be encouraged. We'll see if it's prophetically true. And so it seems like Acts chapter 2, he's going to pour out his spirit on young and old, and men and female, male and female alike, Acts 2. We're also, there are also prophetic words that the, 
the coming uh, prophetic time that's upon us is Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is May 31st. We're in that 50-day window from the time of the Passover, which has never occurred like this since the first Passover. Israel was in lockdown in Moses' day for that plague under Pharaoh. This is the first time since that time where they've been in lockdown in Israel, and so have we, during the Passover and the coinciding of Passovers, right? And uh, now we see May 31st will be Pentecost Sunday. I believe not only have we seen this phenomenal Passover reoccurrence, we could see a phenomenal Pentecost outpouring, and we're believing. In fact, I got with our intercessory team this morning. We declared May 30th as a day of Joel 2 fasting. Call an assembly, a solemn assembly. Come together and pray and fast and see what I would do. That's where Peter prophesied. This is that in Acts chapter 2 after Jesus said, don't leave until the Father gives you the gift of the Spirit, right? And they stayed in Jerusalem and then poured out His blessing. And so we see as an opportunity. So we're going we're gonna to coincide or at least cooperate with that spirit, and we're going to pray and fast as Joel had declared they should do. And we're going to join that as an assembly. There will probably be many assemblies of people that will join in that fast on May 30th and ask God to pour it out. And I'm believing God's going to bring us back together as an assembly where the corona garbage is to a place where we can come together and we can come together as a people of God and enjoy that outpouring together. All right, so these are some of the prophetic revelations that are coming that are we want to test them, but we want to walk in them, and we certainly don't want to miss them, miss anything that he's doing. Look at um, <clears throat> the bottom of page 1311. What are the four characteristics or functions of Christian prophecy? Number one, prophecy initiates the action of God among God's people. That's maybe look at Acts chapter 11 there as an example. When Agabus says there was a famine, that was going to be afflicting the whole Roman Empire, the disciples were stirred, and what did they do? They actually took an offering in famine relief for Judea. So there was a call to action there. That word was given by Agabus the prophet, and they acted on it, took up an offering, and did something about it. And that actually happened. Number two, prophecy awakens God people to hear his word. When John prophesied to the church at Sardis, this is in Revelation, that they should awake and strengthen what remains in you because you're near death. That was a prophet warning to this church. You guys better wake up. You're near death. You think you're alive, but you're not. Number three, prophecy unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the gift of prophecy, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. When God speaks, things happen. Uh, let me give you an example. I was in Brazil, and we had been running uh, the deliverance tents, doing individual uh, deliverances with uh, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark. Uh, we, some, there were 20,000 in the soccer stadium in Belém, Brazil. We were there three times, I think. Um, there was a lady who operated prophetically, and she came up to me, and she makes this declaration. Uh, it was actually Kathy Oates who operated prophetically. She was on that trip with us. She came up and she said, just walked up, she said, God is about to use you in mass deliverances, not just individual deliverances, but in mass deliverances. As soon as she spoke that word, I got wrecked in the Holy Spirit. Man, I fell out under the power of God. I said, whoa. Well, 
Little did I know of Randy Clark, who had been operating as part of his uh, ministry team support. Our teams would go and run the deliverance tents for him in many of the places in Brazil and then other places. Um, when that night we were in another location, we were in a soccer stadium. It wasn't in Belém, but it was in, a, at this point, I think it's Resistance. No. Anyway, Escapes in Woodtown, they all mold together. But that night, Randy Clark called me to the front and he said, Pastor Tom has got the, a gifting here for mass deliverances. I'd like you to deliver these people. There were about 250 at that point that wanted a deliverance. And so I said, wow, God, okay. So I just operated with that prophetic word using the same model that we, we've gone through here in the Destiny model. And I had ministry team members present there. And we did a, a group deliverance on 250 people at one time. And it was powerful. And so the word was activated in me. Um, I got a witness from it. And then the apostolic leadership of Randy said, we're going to operate in that. And we did it. And since that time, I think now uh, I estimate we did one as much as 4,000 people in uh, Boma in, in uh, Tanzania under, under uh, Leif Hetland's ministry there. There was a time we were in the field and we estimated about 4,000 people there and I did a mass deliverance and we saw so many miracles. It was incredible what God did. And so the point of that is that the activation can be something that, one, it activates the spirit within you. It's a thing that God wants to do. When you can do mass deliverances, obviously a whole lot more people get delivered at one time. And so God is faithful. So it unleashes the power of the Holy Ghost, number three. Number four, um, the prophecy proclaims God's word publicly. When a word goes out, you got a public witness of what's going. And so, again, at the bottom of page 13, 12 there, I've listed the purposes of prophecy. It's to encourage, it's to convict, it's to admonish, it's to inspire, and it's to give guidance. All right, um, on page 1313, 13, we look at the levels of prophecy, and that's kind of a reiteration of there's that spirit of prophecy that you can get in a meeting when all are together. And people that are not, remember, Saul was not in a really good place. King Saul was not in a really good place. When he gets into this group of the school of the prophets in the Old Testament, he starts prophesying. And they wonder, is he now a prophet? How did that happen? What happened is he came under an environment where the gift of prophecy and the spirit of prophecy was operating. But then there's the gift, and we, we're encouraging all of you to ask for that gift. That's biblical. I've shared that with you out of 1 Corinthians 14. But then the office. We, we desire. Um, we had someone come recently, and one of my elders was called out of the crowd and called a prophet. And so when that happens, the office of the prophet is being established. And so... And we believe that in order for um, a house to be well-balanced, all five-fold ministries should be operating. You should have the apostle, you should have the prophet, you should have the teacher, the evangelist, and the, um, the teacher. So, Lord, I thank you that uh, you're doing that in many places. We see that coming back. So there's a couple of things you can look at, some references here. Um, there's a great teaching that we've done. Uh, Chris Volatin does. Bill Johnson, they wrote uh, insights from Bill and Chris on the basic training in the prophetic. That's on the bottom of page 13.3. Um, just some other areas. We'll, we'll finish up here in the next few minutes. Um, 
We've talked about receiving the prophetic ministry. I encourage every pastor to pursue the prophetic. It's biblical. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Don't scoff at it. Don't hold it back. So how would you get started? Look at page 1316. How do we get started in the prophetic? Well, first of all, ask the Holy Spirit, right? And let him activate. Ask him to activate. I would encourage you to read through 1 Corinthians 14. This is what your word said, God. I want that. I want to operate in the gift of tongues. Paul says, do not forsake prophecy, but don't forbid the speaking in tongues. So anyone that has issues with uh, tongues and prophecy, take it up with God. It, it's in the book. And so um, we can't want to take, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. This is the full word of God. And if we're to be full, we need to be full in his word. And so ask God to give it to you. Just pursue him. Ask for that gift. Read through the scriptures. Say, this is what you said, Lord. This is what I want. And then be patient, but operate in it. Maybe, uh, for, for example, uh, someone was telling me today they were um, getting ready to leave a place they were at, and the Holy Spirit unctioned that person that go pray for the person that's in the, in the booth and went and found out that the person said, when, when he asked him, would you like prayer? He said, yeah, I, I would. Uh, my friend just died. And so that was a word of knowledge, but it was under the unction of the Holy Spirit and they got to pray. So listen to God on these things and then activate it. Take, um, when you start to pray, ask God to show you pictures or to, how's it going? You're going to have a dream. Anyone who has a dream, you should write it down. When, if you remember the specifics of a dream, write it down and then ask the Lord. You'll see in Acts chapter 2 that he gives those dreams. If you have a vision, sometimes it's like, you start seeing, Lord, what was that? What did I just see? And the Lord, just pay attention to what that is. There's different methods that are being used. But there are some warnings. Uh, on 1317, what are some of the prophetic guidelines? One, it's lifestyle. If I haven't hit that enough times over the books we've just read, purity and lifestyle are really important if you don't want to get hurt. You cannot start operating and engaging the darkness, if you're walking in darkness, you will get yourself in a mess. And so you'll get under deception or you're going to get hurt. So purity and lifestyle are important for any part of our ministry team. Anywhere you're serving. Now, that's, now we're not talking sinless life, but there's, there's this practice of lifestyle. There needs to be purity of practice. And when we get off the track, if uh, we don't have, you know, he, he warns us about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So be careful. Guideline number one there is walk in your lifestyle and purity. Honor the Lord. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit for the gifts. Number three, submit to the group and ministry under your leadership. Um, number four, la page 13, 18, last page. Don't give more than what you get. If you get a prophetic word, don't try to add to it. Just say what you got. Sometimes like, man, this is what I got. Um, I remember recently I was doing a, um, a prayer ministry on an individual. We got all done. They had forgiven. They had confessed. I said, Lord, is there anything else you want us to see or show or the person needs to forgive? And he showed me someone standing in a Boy Scout leader's uniform. And I said, man, I don't, that's all I got. So I just said to the person, uh, does you need to forgive or has anything happened around 
a Boy Scout leader, and that triggered a whole thing that God wanted to take care of. And so um, that was a prophetic revelation. Asked the Holy Spirit for it. I just acted on it. It was weird. I was like, I don't have any context for it, but it unlocked that. Um, so it's very important that we pay attention and ask for that. And then make sure you're walking in encouragement and comfort and strength. Don't prophesy to children unless you have a parent or a guardian there. If, uh, so we, we want to be careful that when we're giving a word, uh, don't give a warning or severe judgment prophecy without first talking to a pastor or a leader. Bring that to the pastor. That's number five. Um, make sure you have a journal. I would uh, encourage you to journal any prophetic words that you're getting. And then when you give a prophetic word, don't use the King James English. Thus saith the Lord. You know, um, I would encourage you to couch it with humility. This is what I do. Um, you know, I, 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 would this make any sense to you? I think I just saw this. Um, does that have any relevance to, uh, and when they say, yeah, I know exactly what that means. Oh, okay. Or, yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so come at it from a humility perspective as, um, and just talk in regular language. But don't give more than you're getting. If you get a picture, just talk about what you got and see if that, and the Lord can lead you down a pathway. Um, or if you start to give a word to someone, and then all of a sudden tears start happening or then you know, whoa, the Holy Spirit's working. You get more encouragement, then you can pour out, pour more into it. And you can ask them, what was going on there? When you said that, man, <clears throat> I remember uh, recently I, I was praying for someone and uh, the Lord gave me a picture of a, a really, a, it was a heart that was wrapped in barbed wire and it was, it was obviously constricted. And I just said, man, I just... I just saw like your heart just so constricted and, and tied up in this barbed wire hurt and they started to reveal the broken hearted thing that had just happened with a relationship and that opened the door then just from that picture to open the door to pray for the healing of their heart to forgive the individual and the ministry in the spirit. So just it's just a, a wonderful tool by the Holy Spirit who knows everything. Humility and submission, um, those are always part of any of our ministry gifts and so just remember we'll conclude with this that all gifts are to build the church and to give the lord the glory to edify the church so praise god that completes nine weeks of breaking free ministry team training and lots of reading if you haven't been able to catch all that it will be online all the modules will be there um, next i want to encourage you next week we have a young couple that's coming uh, um, Brenton Irving and his wife Erica will be here, and they're going to be doing a, a, a part of a, a real spiritual warfare equipping on obedience and following the word of the Lord. It's really about intimacy and truth. I think uh, he's going to take several weeks in that, and so we'll be uh, previewing them here. So come and join us next Wednesday night at 630. Uh, we'll be praying into that and seeing what the Lord will do. So let me pray for us now. Lord, I'm thankful and so grateful for all those who have, have been seeking and pursuing this ministry training, that they're getting more tools in the toolbox for breaking free, that you will use this. Lord, in a long time ago, you told me that there was, a, there was a company of people that I was to help to raise up to destroy the works of darkness. So God, it is my desire, my 
strong desire that an impartation, that the warriors would be raised up, that they would have their hands trained for war, that they know who they are in Christ. They're not ashamed of the gospel and not, they're not afraid. That love is being perfected in them. That they have, this perfect love has expelled all fear, all inadequacy, all worries of not being good enough or capable of or smart. God, I thank you that you are the one who equips and you, when you call us into this ministry, you equip us to do the work. So God, I ask that there would be tremendous fruit, freedom, both in families and individuals. There would be this capability of both self-spiritual warfare stuff that we fight against, but also those that can take the battle to the enemy's camp and crush his head in accordance with that Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, that he's given us power over the enemy, that we can walk among the snakes and scorpions and crush them and in no way injure us. So, Lord, I pray now supernatural peace and impartation of the Holy Spirit to come and minister to all those who've had this teaching. Lord, I ask you to inspire them to go on and keep going on, go deeper with God, and may the Lord receive all the blessing and the advancement of his kingdom, and we'll be sure he gets the glory for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.